Well, that's my new opener, and I'm so happy to have that finally here on Wake Up With KC. Hope you enjoyed that. And today, I, I find people very fascinating, and it's very rare that I get to come across people that I grew up watching and, you know, learning from them. And then I, I realized there was so much more about them. And this is like a flashback for me. And I'm very honored to introduce you somebody that is very extraordinary, even from the 80s. Please welcome Scott Valentine. Scott! Hello there. <laughs> Yay, you we are... made it. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> I love your I, intro. I love the colors. I love the picture, the vibe. Very nice. Very, very nice. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. I just go with the vibe, like what I feel and, you know, learning from my, you know, being in a coach and being in massage therapy, I learned like what colors can do and how it affects your energy and whatnot. So I always love everything up you know, to bring everybody's vibrations up. So that's why I do what I do. <laughs> Very nice. Good job. Way to go. High five. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Coming from you, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take that because you, <laughs> now I, I, I got to ask you from, because I watched you growing up, you know, uh -huh. in the 80s, uh -huh. you know, you know, Mallory's boyfriend, Nick, you know, family mm -hmm. ties, but then how did that all begin for you? Because you were in college, you went to college, you know, in the arts. So was this a passion of yours that you just fell in love with and that's what you wanted to do? A definite, definite, definite passion. Um, it's funny, I'm writing a book uh, and I'm writing it with a, I don't like the term ghostwriter in this case, with a gentleman who was actually a, a real scribe, a real writer. <clears throat> and um, we were working on it rather, rather fervently. Uh, and then with the, the death of my mother and then the settling of her estate and other things going on, it got me off the path of working on the book where we've just gotten back to the um, regular schedule of, of editing what the first draft is. And in that we've gotten to the part of, you know, why, why did I go into acting? What happened? What was the compulsion? And it was really, it was, and still remains a passion for me. If I could, if there wasn't the craziness of Hollywood and all the lying and cheating and game playing and silliness that goes on with it, I would still, the life of an actor is a, it's a beautiful life. It's a beautiful life, you know? Uh, it's kind of like that that movie Shakespeare in Love, you know. It's magic. It's magic. But um, going to college, my grades were horrible, horrible. I think the first semester I I had a uh, one seven GPA. Next semester I had a one three two GPA. Um, I had discovered young ladies and all the wonderful and fascinating things. <laughs> um, but also discovered theater. <clears throat> started doing plays and started realizing the research that I'm doing for the play. It's the same research I can use for my sociology paper or my political science paper or my history paper, whatever. And I thought, this is great. What's the only thing that could make it better? Make money doing it. So I started auditioning at different acting schools around the country and got into the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City and just my my GPA shot up to a 4.0 and then a 4.4 4. Wow. and it was truly not because it's nothing to do with the level of intelligence it had to do with the level of of passion and I just could not get enough of it I just had a voracious appetite to to pretend in the most realistic way possible um it's getting introduced to writers like uh, uh, Eugene O'Neill and Clifford Odets, uh, and folks that really held a mirror up to society and said, "Here, look at us. Look at look at you. Look at what we do. Why do we do what we do?" Hold on, I've got to turn the fan. The air conditioning's on. It's off. It's on. It's off. And now it's on. It's a little chilly. Um, so. 
that really that really that really rocked my world that was so cool to be able to do art and hold up a mirror to society and say look at us whether it was a comedy or whether it was a drama or whatever it was that was such a passion of mine graduated from the academy started doing uh, a lot of theater got a movie that movie excuse me ran out of money um and then got run over by a truck a, a pickup truck got, or a tractor trailer truck a 10 wheeler truck a, okay. a, a truck with a tandem axle in the back <clears throat> pretty big truck I think about a 16 foot box on the back and the driver and I had gotten into an argument at a red light in Manhattan and he then proceeded to hit me run over me with the front tire and drag me for a block and a half I died I was paralyzed from the waist down um I was told I would never walk never have children I was in traction for about three months got out of the hospital eventually started rehabbing and i was bound to determine to get back to acting now mind you um uh when i got run over i was literally on the way to my agent's office to sign a contract either for a soap or for a feature film had been offered both and I wanted to do the feature film being the, you know, typical actor. And my agent wanted me to do the soap because he was thinking more money, more consistency, more longevity. Do that, build your career, then you can go do the film. And I don't, there are some actors that are, make very nice transitions from soap operas to real film, but a lot that don't. And, you know, looking back on it now, I'm 64 looking at it. There are guys I know that started off in the 80s doing soap operas. And they're still doing soap operas and they've got beautiful houses in Santa Barbara or in, you know, Westchester, New York. They got paid good money over the years and and they're happy doing that same thing over and over and over. To me, it was like eating meringue instead of eating steak and potatoes and asparagus, you know. Um, so that's why I wanted to do the feature film run over rehab takes two years i start auditioning again in new york um came very close to getting a part in a movie with robbie benson and paul newman and the casting director who's now a a, a very pretty well-established agent in la and i've talked to her about this she doesn't remember it after auditioning six seven times and then the final callback with me and one other actor to play robbie benson's best buddy in the movie she turns to the producer and the director and, and she goes and she to me initially she goes didn't you have an accident I said, what you had an accident didn't you I said, you know what everybody has accidents every day I, I, this morning I walked into the dresser it was a, it was an accident you know there's accidents every day no 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 you had like a real serious accident didn't you what do you mean no, you had an accident. He's got fake parts in him. Because I had, a, <laughs> uh, I had a, an artificial femur, artificial hip, and a portion of my pelvis put in that are artificial. And she's, he's got fake parts. He's made with fake parts. He's like a tinker toy. He's going to fall apart on the set. And I said, no, I'm fine. <clears throat> I'm great. And I literally hopped up on the coffee table in the audition and i started like look at me i could fly i could dance i'm good i'm great no problem and they all looked at me like okay you're crazy thank you it was so kind of you to come in no i don't know why she said this on the seventh or eighth callback why did she not why did she ever see me if she knew i was in an accident why would she and maybe she had just learned but i thought it was a pretty shitty thing for her to do when it was down to me and one other guy and after that, I decided I've got to leave New York. My dream was to stay in New York, do plays, and do one film a year, which would make me enough money to pay my rent for the whole year. And the rest of the year, do plays. And I said, screw it. I've got to go out to L.A. where nobody knows about this. I went to L.A. in 
August of 84, right after the, uh, the Olympics, got to L.A. literally like the day after the Olympics ended, I believe it was, and started auditioning. The same agent who was my agent in New York who stuck by me, the one that said, you know, I was on the way to his office and whether we're going to do the soap or do the feature film, had opened an office in L.A. <clears throat> and he was a very sweet guy, Michael Schlesinger. Very gay, very pretty gay. Doll, come on, come on. You know, Mikey, we'd be going, said, Doll, how do I look? Do I look pretty? You look fine, Mikey. Are you sure? Yes, you look great. My eyes okay? Yes, you look great. Um, and he stuck by me like blood. He was very loyal, very believed in me phenomenally. And he would get me out on auditions. Some weeks I had 20 auditions a week in LA. Wow. And after being there for 10 months, I got an audition on some sitcom, you know, family ties. I don't know family ties. What's a family? What family ties with Michael Fox? I don't know who Michael Fox is. I don't know family ties. I don't, I don't watch TV. I'm a theater guy. Okay. But I'll, I'll go do the audition. And I went and got it. It was supposed to be for one week. And after the, at the beginning, towards the end of the first week, Gary Goldberg, who's the executive producer, came up to me and he said, look, we kind of like having you around. You seem like a good guy. Uh, would you want to do this again? I'm like, sure, of course. It's fun. Love to. And so I was the date that wouldn't leave. I was there for four years. The date so, that wouldn't leave. <laughs> so to say, is it a passion? It's truly a passion. Um, but, you know, you look at actors who have really made it, who have had careers that have gone on for decades. You look at Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, um, George Clooney. It's not only what they do in front of the camera. And I don't care if you like their acting or not. I don't care if you agree with their politics or not. I don't care if you agree with their religious choices. We're talking acting, okay? We're talking pretend, we're talking who puts on clothes and pretends they're somebody else the best? This is what I did in my parents' garage when I was five years old. It was putting on and pretending. So who pretends the best? Now, mind you, I think award shows, I don't know if you know why they started award shows. The first award shows being the Tony Awards for theater. Um, mm -hmm. It was literally for producers to make money. And I was like, how can we get all these stars in the same room and not have to pay them, but make the audience pay to come see them? Let's have an award show because they're all, all these actors are so neurotic and they're so needing to be stroked. We'll have an award show. And thus, I mean, look at how many award shows we have now. I mean, shit. Yeah. Some crappy little magazine is like, you know, the, the whatever. The, the, the flowers are now award show, whatever. Um, anyway, I don't care whichever, but all of these guys, all of these gals, a Meryl Streep, a um, who's the woman that's married to the Cohen brother? She's a phenomenal actress. What's her name? Um, oh, 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 gosh! Now my mind went just. I had her, a brain. Her, Sorry. You, know, you can picture her in, in 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 Fargo. You can picture her in Three Billboards and whatever it is, blah blah blah, Missouri. Um, <sighs> I don't know, but you look at Emma Thompson. You look at. Yeah. <clears throat> Male or female. Julia yeah. Roberts, Sandra Bullock. Um, uh, we'll figure it out later. We, we can post it on the end credits, okay? Um, <laughs> you look at Denzel Washington. Uh, you look at, it uh, uh, doesn't matter, black, white, gay, straight. People that have a career that they can sustain over decades are not only good at what they're doing in front of the camera, but they know how to maneuver that world and the politics and the insane, insane game playing and backstabbing that goes on in the movie industry and in the television industry and in the record industry. Um, I, I say to people often that, you know, the entertainment industry is a lot like high school. It's who gets to sit at the popular kid table, you know, but it's also, are you able to maneuver those very murky waters of people backstabbing and talking shit about you behind your back. Um, I didn't do that so well off of Family Ties. 
there were people that poisoned my well to big producers or big network executives that were jealous, small people. I'm not gonna name names, but that's 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 part of the animal. You know, it's just like I'm sure there are other electric vehicle makers out there that want to trash Elon Musk, that want to trash the guys that have this company Polestar, that want to trash other, you know, electric manufacturers. I've gone into investment banking and we've done renewable energy endeavors where we uh, guys and gals who are thermodynamic engineers who are very smart, who, who really don't care about what sitcom or what movie or, or what record, but care more about molecularly restructuring molecules to make them into a kind of heat that will then spin a turbine. Even those folks, even those engineers, thermodynamic engineers have ego and little battles over who's better, who's smarter, who's cuter, and they try to trash each other. It's human nature. Humans are, we're, we're not nice animals. We, 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 no, we and I, I don't understand why. Like, if we, like, I'm always like the team player, you know, like, let's all work together to make yeah. an impact. <laughs> we don't have to compete. I think it's a program. You know what, Kimberly, though, I've met, I don't know, 10 billionaires. Them dudes are odd cats. Maybe odd mother, mother truckers. I caught, myself. <laughs> I caught myself. I did good. Way to go. Um, in order to become a billionaire, you have to think only about you and only you and how else you don't need anybody else or how you can get out of this person what you need. Take that piece, put it over here for my machine and then get rid of that person. They don't, they don't, they're not team players. They don't care about team. All they care about is putting as many ducats in their pocket that they possibly can. Now, there's a, a few billionaires that maybe are cool dudes. I've never met them that have been rather benevolent. Um, you look at that woman who divorced, what's his name, Jeff Bezos and his mm -hmm. ex-wife and how, how beneficent she's been with that money and tried to do good and help. Bezos isn't going to do that. Elon Musk isn't going to do that. Um, I won't mention the other billionaires that we've worked with. They're odd cats. And they're I'm just sorry. Very, they need to get off their ego, like knock their ego right off their high horse. And like, hey, come on, look at our planet. Look at humanity. Kimberly, you know what? At 64, I, I have my beautiful wife, Jennifer. She loves me. I love her. We love to give each other kisses. I've got four great sons. I've got the best sons in the world. I've got great business partners. I get to I get to come and chat and play with people like you that are cool people. Let the other let the other idiots do what they do. I'm I'm you know I'm not here to change the world. I just I want to want to do what I do, do it really well, treat everybody equitably, and if somebody wants to be a, a jerk or a knucklehead, whatever, whatever. <clears throat> but, you know, back to it, it being a passion and doing, look at Unfamily Ties. I got to work with Michael Fox as one of the preeminent comedic actors of his time. Very brilliant mind. Then you look at, if you watch, my, my wife watches the, the reruns of Family Ties over and over and over. God love her. God love her. <laughs> On uh, Pluto, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the OTT Pluto. OTT, which stands for over the top. Any streaming service is an OTT. Pluto, Netflix, uh, Apple uh, means they're not available on cable. They're not available via broadcast. They're available, as you and I are talking to each other right here, through the internet, through Wi-Fi. Um, uh, watching the old Family Ties episodes over and over, Michael Gross and Meredith Baxter-Burney are just genius their comedic timing their rhythm with the words their rhythm with their look justine bateman very intelligent for justine was only like 1920 when i was on that show very smart in her timing comedically impeccable you know and then to have people like tina yellers mark price it was a great 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 bunch of folks and gary goldberg who is the executive producer great guy. So I was very lucky for that to be my initial foray in, into Hollywood. Now, in addition, as I say, the other, the, the, the terrain is 
rather ripe with, with landmines and, and uh, pits with flames coming out of them. Um, one of the other nefarious elements is I had a business manager that stole a bunch of money from me. Um, so you go from having a lot of money that you worked your ass off for to having nothing. And it's another where you've got to see your, your element in every, everything that happens, good and bad. You've got to see what role you played in every situation. And at times, it's in a way, it's better. When the team's winning, everybody's, yeah, we're great. Yeah, let's go. Come on. No problems. Everything's good. Problems exist. You're just able to beat the other guys by maybe a point. Maybe a few points, maybe a few seconds, but you're the winner. When you lose, you really start examining what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it, what you can change. And that's what you need to do. When somebody comes and they take a big old plop of manure and put, put it on your plate, you really need to look about, not like, oh, oh poor me. Look, uh, I got a plop of manure. You need to look, how'd you let them in the house? How did they get past the front room? Why, you know? What could I could have I done differently than allowing them to do this and put that plop? That's what you need to learn. That's the kind of resilience you have to have. That's the thing that I hope that I've really tried to instill in my sons, other than being, you know, being kind, equitable, loving, empathetic people, is shit's gonna happen. Everybody's gonna fall off the horse. Everybody's going to have people laugh at them. Everybody's going to have people say, well, you're a jerk. And it's what you do in that situation, <clears throat> not reacting to their negativity. And I know you know this because you seem like a very cool, in tuned, um, harmonic person. How somebody treats you and how somebody assesses you is a direct reflection of what they think of themselves. Yep. And how they assess themselves. If somebody calls you a, an a-hole, somebody says you're pathetic or whatever, they're really actually talking to themselves. Yeah. Pretty and much. Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, I, I'm just, I, I'm very fortunate. I don't know why. I, um, maybe it was my dad. My dad was a great guy. Great guy. Everybody I meet you, I wish you could have met my dad. He's, he's been dead 22 years now. Um, he was a great guy. He went through a lot of shit growing up. He had a shitty father. He had a shitty mother. He was brought up by his grandmother and grandfather. His grandfather was a piece of dirt, piece of shit. Um, and he managed to rise above and create a very wonderful life for us. My mother was my mother. My mother was abusive. She played mind games. She did psychological shit. She wasn't the healthiest of people. She loved you, but she loved you in a very guilt-laden, uh, almost sort of uh, just very, very not a happy person, shall I say. And I wonder where she got that from, from her upbringing. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, you do become a product of your environment. You learn at such an early age based on what you see. Well, and look at our kids. Yeah. It's never do what I say. It's do they do as we do. Mm -hmm. They're little sponges and they're going to look to see how do I, and when moments of conflict or moments of strife come up, a child looks at their mother or father or both and go, well, how did mommy or daddy handle this? And if mommy and daddy aren't on the scene, how did the adult figure who's responsible for me that I look to for love and comfort and security, how do they handle this situation? And kids are lucky if they got a mom or dad that's like, oh, well, that wasn't a good thing. And it wasn't nice that guy took a big dump on us, but we're going to handle it. We're going to go get some wipes. We're going to clean ourselves off. We're going to take a shower and we just will never be with that guy again. But there's not, there's, I've really, the, the older I get have come to believe there are two definitive types of people in the world. There's the A's and there's the B's. There's the idiots and there's the whatever, empathetic, non-blamers, non-guilters. Compassionate. You know, compassionate. 
and it really there are there it's and it, it's oversimplifying it but i think it exists in every culture in every sort of group whether whether they're middle eastern people or they're asian or they're european or they're north american whether they're they're gay straight christian jewish muslim non-denominational don't believe in god there are two basic types they're either assholes or compassionate loving kind people that's um, positive I, negative positive and negative energy to me yeah yeah and i want to align myself with the with the positive mm -hmm. with, the, with the problem solvers not the not the liars not the cheats you know and it still goes on daily i mean the reason i was late coming to you today is because you know we're dealing with some stuff in business and got a couple of knuckleheads a couple of knuckleheads that made bad choices which everybody makes a bad choice everybody mm -hmm. screws up but don't <clears throat> you know don't run the car into the trees and come back well kimberly it's your fault <laughs> the way you talked to me before i got in the car had me all confused and i couldn't focus on the road and i ran into the tree it was your fault you may have been 20 miles away but it was your fault what what are you talking about mm -hmm. really you know so i don't want to be around those folks it was very you know visiting uh, your home state of beautiful florida that my wife and i were so lucky to do uh, last week week before the people we visited were all all, all the positive folks. Mm -hmm. cool i love being around when you're around positive people you can feel their energy and it's uplifting it's like you're getting recharged and you get even more creative and that's why i keep my friends small <laughs> my inner circle is very well, small and there are as we know as as you have as i have as everybody have there are folks that help contribute to your life and then there are folks that are energy vampires that just mm -hmm. suck it out of you um but it's amazing look it wasn't easy there were um, there were relationships that i got into that were not healthy relationships and and part of it was programming that i received as a child going oh that must be love because mom does that i guess it's okay and it's love she says she loves me but she's beating the shit out of me but she says she loves me so i guess it's okay to have somebody beat the shit out of me whether it's mentally emotionally or physically you know just not good i think that we're here to experience life in order to understand you have a conceptual knowing there's a difference between conceptual knowing and exper experiencing knowing once you experience it then you get to understand it learn from it gain wisdom from it and i think most people just stay stuck in that experience that was traumatizing and it becomes so familiar to them that they think it's normal it's like a program living in the past emotionally mentally physically you know, it's funny as you're saying experiential learning the human brain's amazing Something mm -hmm. comes up and our brain just goes, oh, let's find the shortest path to be able to, we were here before and this happened and we handled it that way. So let's put, let's play that. Let's do that track again. And a lot of times we have to work to create new neural pathways to have an experience and handle it differently and have a different result. That's why in this article I was reading about all these tragic shootings that go on in our beautiful, wonderful quilt of a country for some reason we allow these machines that, that are, are able to do prolific amounts of death in seconds um and i think you know what i'm talking about yeah in this article they were saying why experts were saying well you know pe people outside that didn't you know that weren't there go well if i was there i would have but the human brain and you're in a situation that somebody is just obliterating other humans with this automatic weapon and it's like oh my god what do we do we've never been here before we this doesn't there's no frame of reference there's no experiential reference to be able to go to to say oh this is how we handle this um but if we grow up as a child with mommy and daddy and we see daddy beat mommy or mommy beat daddy or whatever when as a then as a young adult you get into it and go oh i've seen this before i've seen this movie 
is that my mom and dad so i'm supposed to punch her now because she said this and it's really it's just it's a lot of reteaching reprogramming re mm-hmm. and then there's movies and video games that just keep that programming going of violence hatred and whatnot would you agree yes i would unfortunately you know that, that part of look after the shit that had hit the fan with regard after family ties and then things that happened and that's why i got into producing <clears throat> part of it was too a lot of the things i was being offered or a lot of the things to audition for not even offered and i'm reading it and i'm going this is just this is just mean it's just mean it's not funny it isn't suspenseful it's just plain mean and um i i had a i remember uh, you know you know we have those aha moments in our life Mm -hmm. mine was going to an audition audition at paramount studios for some movie and i just thought the script was just drack it was just horrible and the best acting I did was walking in the room and saying to the writers and the producers, wow, this, this, and I, and I said, you can't say this is a good script. I remember going in, wow, somebody, they really wrote when they wrote this, they, they were writing, they put words on the paper, baby. They, they, and I didn't want to say, oh, it's a good script. Yeah. I like it. You know, I needed the job. I needed to feed my kids, keep a roof over our head, but it was, it was, it was, yeah. Yep. So we, we hope to not do those things now with our company. One of the things we're doing now is uh, Red Coral Universe. We're launching an OTT. It's been a bit arduous getting the right coders to build it. And, and OTT stands for over the top. And Pluto is an OTT. Netflix is an OTT. So we will have, we already have it, our own app that's on Roku, that's on you know Xbox, that's uh, available through any streaming service. Mm-hmm. And we'll have our own content and other content, not sort of that we acquire, but content. There's a lot of friends of ours that are that are movie makers, show makers, uh, TV makers that made a great movie, that made a great show, but they don't have name talent in the system, the way that it's set up. If you don't have, you know, Mickey Mouse or Mighty Mouse or Danger Mouse in there, they don't have any interest. So how can I sell it? There's no name here to sell. How can I? What do I well, you can sell it by saying it's a great story, it's a great piece of material, it's going to move people. You know, it's a little harder for you, a little bit outside your box, but you can do that. In uh, distribution systems, uh, broadcasters as they are now do not want to take that chance, and the ones that do take the chance are companies with billions and billions of dollars, Netflix, Apple, Amazon, Disney. They have the ability to launch something without a name actor. In the independent film world, a lot of times, you need a Mickey Mouse or a Mighty Mouse or a Danger Mouse to put on the cover of your box to say, here, buy this because we got Mickey Mouse in it, you know, or Mighty Mouse or Danger Mouse. Um, By being our own distributor, by having our own our own portal where you can go to or anybody can go to for free and watch cool independent content um that's kind of a dream of ours it's kind of a desire it's kind of like doing a independent theater back in my i did with my show like i have a podcast it's on iheart it's on all that but i wanted visual because i know people like to see well see we'll also have we will have a portal for podcasts we could Later, when we finish this, okay? <laughs> yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk offline, all right, Saul? And we want, there's a lot of, um, we have our own podcast that we've been doing uh, out of pandemic. And I'm like, what do we do? And then my partner, Larry, Larry Maestrich, he produced, you know, the movie Sling Blade? Uh, he produced the movie You Can Count on Me. He's very oh. intelligent, very compassionate, uh, very smart. Uh, filmmaker um he's like we ought to do a show and then he said you know in times of strife as 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 we i hope have let's knock on wood coming out of the pandemic here uh 
a lot of what people turned to were artists for comfort. Um, and I know I've done that, whether it's a novelist or a playwright or a painter or a musician, we turn to art to comfort us, to give us some sort of solace and give us some vision of, oh, this is a path forward. So we have a show called Why Should Why Should We Listen to Them? And the, and the precept of the show is we bring sculptors, painters, writers, musicians, dancers, filmmakers, actors, and tell, you know, what is their drive? What is their compassion? What is their, uh, you know, and as a result, we started looking at other podcasts. So shows like yours, we want to have a home for where people can just go and go, you know, you have a very particular uh, bent, a very particular angle of how you approach your show and what message you want to send to your, your viewers. And it, it'd be nice to help create a, a larger home for that where people can find it easier. So we'll talk about it later, okay? Later. later. But I really love what you're doing because you 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 got into you know the acting because that's your your passion. Then you got into the business side of things. You learned, you gained so much wisdom and expertise to where you launched and partnered with other companies. And then you know with energy and you know doing what you're doing now. I'm just like so like fascinated like i just want to pick your brain sometimes <laughs> like what, how did you the, do all this <laughs> it's just you know look all business is the same it really is whether you're making donuts or you're making cars or you're making movies or you're making power or you're making whatever you've got raw material you have a way that you have to take that raw material and process it in a very consistent cost-effective manner and then you need to get that end product out to buyers so whoop, there we go this way <laughs> my camera's flipped so if i go there we go that uh, oh, let's go this way there we go so you need to get it out to end buyers not so much oh i make money 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 but so you can sustain your machine because while you're doing this also you're not just putting food on your own table you're putting food on the tables of all the workers that are working with you and helping you make this. You're putting roofs over the, the heads of these people and their families and their kids. Um, so it, it, it's trying to think globally, not just, ooh, me, 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 me. Um, and, you know, when I got so disenchanted, I got very disenchanted with Hollywood in 04. I was going through, in the beginning of an acrimonious divorce, which I made mistakes. Uh, you know, this was not like, oh, she was a, well, there's plenty of mistakes I made. Um, but my last production deal at the time was at Madonna's company. And I just thought it was a, a bastion of ineptitude. Things were not run intelligently. And I'm like, I've got to get out of here. I can't, how can I feed my kids when I don't respect the people I'm working with and I'm looking to them to help create a vehicle so I can feed my kids. This is not going to work. I got to go. And I hooked up with a woman who uh, we started working opposite sides of the table and the same side of the table and then formed company together, a woman, Dakota Forgione, very intelligent, very bright, very entrepreneurial. Um, and we got involved with the, the financial structuring for ethanol facilities and biodiesel facilities. But what really, really, really excited me was biodiesel, not that was made from virgin soybean seeds, but a process called transestification. When you take that ugly, goopy stuff after they slaughter a pig or a cow or whatever, and the, the stuff that's so crappy that they don't even put in dog food, which they shouldn't put in dog food, but they do. There's this other like gelatinous kind of fatty, greasy stuff that you can cook in a certain way to then make biodiesel to then run your vehicle on. And it just thrilled me that we were taking garbage and making something very useful. And not only making a useful product, but also creating jobs. Um, and then we started looking at a process called anaerobic digestion. Very simple, been around for decades, but it's taking cow poop, you know, dairy cows, not steers, but dairy cows, biomass, tree trimmings, grass trimmings, things like that, and MSW, municipal solid waste, 
mixing them together. It creates a gas. You take that gas and clean it up and you can pipe it into people's house to cook with, or you can combust it in a turbine and make electricity with it. They thought, how cool, how cool that we're making power out of garbage, out of shit, out of literal shit. We are making power. And it's yeah. funny, I got, I got together uh, for lunch with Gary Goldberg um, after uh, after we had this business going. I told him what we were doing. And he started laughing. He goes, you just can't get away from garbage, can you? Because I don't know if you remember, the character on Family Ties, Nick, made art out of garbage. Yeah. You know? And... I and I did have Kimberly. I had friends in New York prior to moving to LA that we would go around New York at night procuring garbage out of the piles that people left on the side of the road for you know the garbage guys to come pick up that they would then take home and make art out of and sell for a lot of money. So I just I always thought it was very cool to take something that other people perceived as waste and turn it into something good, you know. I find that fascinating because it's like a a connection of the dot. You didn't realize no. like you were young what you were doing, and then later it all comes like back in full circle. Like this is why you're fascinated with garbage. Well, this you is like the art out of it. You know, and you look at um, I don't know what Florida's rate is, but having lived in Los Angeles for thirty six years. California has the highest rate of recovering recyclables and reusing them. It's around 63%. The next highest state, which amazed me to learn, is Arkansas, 32%. Arkansas, Republican state, not really the most liberal, hip, forward-looking place, Arkansas. And it may be because of Bentonville, because of where Walmart is. And, and as much as people say Walmart's a big, bad, ugly corporation, they create a lot of jobs. They make a lot of products available for people at a price that allow them to sustain their life. You know, it, it's not Bonwit and Teller. It's not uh, Lord and Taylor. It's not uh, Bloomingdale's. But it's stuff that everyday people need. So maybe Arkansas has such a high recovery and reuse rate for recyclables. Maybe is, is Walmart is all I can think of, right? And then the next highest state is New Jersey. And New Jersey's at about 18%. Then every other state, it's only like about <coughs> 16, 15, 11%. It's like me, and the fact that we don't reuse, re, you know, recycle this stuff, it's like me taking good, clean electricity and just going and wasting it. It's like me taking gasoline that, you know, a lot of people go, oh, you do renewable energy. You guys must hate fossil fuel. No. No, I don't hate fossil fuel. Everything you see here in this picture, everything everything here on my desk, you know, everything. Everything here has been touched by fossil fuel. Everything in your room. Were it not for fossil fuel, we would not be where we are. We need to learn to use it in a more efficient and cleaner manner and procure it better. Um, and we need to, because it's a finite resource, not because we're looking to put the oil companies out of business. It's finite. It's going to run out of in a way. And, and another thing about, you know, I'm a very liberal guy, but on the other part, I'm very much, we, we need to protect ourselves as a country. You know, how do you bring down an army? You cut off their food supply and you cut off their energy supply. That's how you bring them to their knees, right? Mm-hmm. So how other countries are really, people are out there saying, I'm a patriot. I got a flag and... We're gonna we're gonna storm the capital and we're gonna you know, if you really want to be a patriot, recycle. Because that then lessens our dependence upon foreign oil. And we don't have to deal with OPEC, then we don't have to deal with Russia, we don't have to deal with Venezuela. Recycle. Because we can actually from this 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 little toothpicky thing here, right? That little doojobby, this plastic can be reused to make more fuel because it came from oil. So Instead of running around thumping your chest, oh, I'm a man, I got a gun, I'm going to go shoot people, I'm going to bust down the Capitol. If you really want to be a patriot, recycle, learn how to reuse. Be a proponent, not of the, uh, how many people I think are just really uneducated. The the pipeline that uh, the, the Obama administration canceled and again, uh, 
coming across Canada. Well, we need that pipe. That's dirty oil sands. It's dirty, ugly oil filled with sand that can't be turned into power that we run engines on or heat our homes with or cook with. It's going to become bunker fuel that you're going to put in ships that pollute like a son of a gun. So if you really want to be a radical, be a proponent of finishing the gas to liquid, the GTL plant in Lake Charles, Louisiana, that converts all the gas. We've got a lot of gas. Yes, a lot of it's from frack drilling, which is a very controversial method of, of procuring gas from the ground. But it's gas that's coming from our contiguous 48 states. It's not coming out of the ocean. Not worrying about an oil spill where it's going to spill out and, and ruin you know crops. We don't have to cut across Native American uh, cemeteries to, to put a pipe in for it. And take that gas, bring it to the gas conversion plant in Lake Charles, Louisiana, which has started, stopped, started, stopped. We're going to build it. We're not going to build it. Let's build it. And then we can tell OPEC, go fuck yourself. We can tell Putin, go fuck yourself. We can tell Venezuela, go fuck yourself. We don't need you. We don't need your oppressive, you know, totalitarian practices. We are self-sustaining and self-subsisting. If we did those things, we'd be much more independent. We wouldn't be paying five bucks, six bucks for a gallon of gas right now. We wouldn't. Well, we have our own oil, I thought. So why isn't there something in dealing with the Fair Trade Act to to keep, you know, it's like, okay, we need your your products and service, so we're going to trade with you with what we have to keep, yes. you know, yeah. I guess the... Yes, there is, that is an element in it as well. But also, it's not the oil so much that is in the ground or in the ocean off our shores. It's the companies that refine it and what they're charging for refining. So if we'd set a national standard, if we had, you know, just a plant that was in a way, and I know it goes against democracy, but it was owned by the government, and it was to take this gas and convert it to liquid fuel to run our vehicles on, we wouldn't be able we wouldn't be at the whims and the the mercurial nature of oil processing companies. And we wouldn't be in a bent over the barrel. We wouldn't be paying five, six dollars for a gallon of gas. We have more oil. We have more gas. We have more gas. We have 10 times more gas than Saudi Arabia has oil. You know, and why do we keep dealing with Saudi Arabia? Well, there's the political things and there are safe haven to keep an eye on Iraq and Iran. I'm sort of like, put up a wall. Keep them all out. Keep them all out. Let's, <laughs> you know. Yes, uh, and, and not a wall to keep out brown people, uh, which is another funny thing that, that, that folks say. Well, we got to keep the Mexicans out because they're going to take jobs. Really, what jobs are they going to take? What, what are they going to take? Because I know a lot of the Latino people I know, they've got some of the difficult, most difficult, shitty jobs in the world that they're out, you know, in the fields, pulling heads of lettuce out of the ground, picking mm -hmm. berries. Doing the jobs that most Americans won't do. Doing jobs that white folks won't do. That's what they're doing. So, I don't, I don't know. What do I know? I'm just an actor, right? You're more than that. You're an amazing human being. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Cheers. 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 I don't have my water. <laughs> Well, here you can. You, I got a water here for you. Okay, there you oh, go. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'll share. Well, look, I've got to get back to work. This has been thoroughly enjoyable. Your let's make sure let's talk offline and tell you and your viewers about Red Coral Universe. Yes, All right? there, absolutely. I, I would give you the URL, but we have stuff up there that's sort of like in in beta phase, and I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Um, I'd say give it, let's give it 60, 70 days, and then it'll be ready for the public to see and look at and see so what's I'll put their your email information if, if you know, people are, would like more information, you know, about it, the mission statement well, and whatnot. Okay. I'll send that, give that to you. Don't put my email up there. Okay. <laughs> Just whatever I can that, hey, I want to know more about okay. this. 
Yeah, we'll put up the URL for the company. Okay. I'll give you each company name because also we're involved with food. We're involved with power transmission. You know, the, these are things. Uh, assisted living. Yes, assisted living. There we go. We're just we're just trying to be good citizens. That's all. And help the community, help you know people. That's what I I really admire. What and and so like hey, happy look, to hear what you're doing. It, it's thing, very good. It's very inspirational, motivating, and it's positive. Spreading out that positivity. I'm just very lucky to have the business partners that I have. Extremely lucky. You know, a thing I always. Um, they're all smarter than I am. And I'm not saying that to sound humble. I think you should always strive to be with people that are up here so you can learn more and get, raise your, raise your bar, you know? Right. And not only that, but they're, they're like on the same page of your vision and whatnot, but they have more knowledge and wisdom and expertise to help guide you because they see the same thing. Or they see more <laughs> or they've been around the block a bunch more times and they know where the cracks are on the sidewalk yeah and they can go you know look out next to that oak tree there's a big root coming out and you're going to trip over it so yeah kimberly this has been a real pleasure real real pleasure high it five was. thank you so much when me, and, when me and the missus get back down to florida we, we all got to get together and break bread and tell tall tales okay yes definitely for sure all right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, there you go. The Extraordinary Life with Scott Valentine. Stay tuned to more with Wake Up With KC. You'll never know who I'm going to get on this show. Mm -hmm.